Isn't it time you lived life on your own terms? If not now, when? Visit abrilliantgamble.com for more information on Blair's new exciting online coaching program. Midlife doesn't have to be a crisis. It's a time to rethink who you are and what you really want from your work, your life, and yourself. Sacrificing your soul stops here. It's time to make some plans, make them happen, and live the life you deserve. With interviews, stories from her own adventures, and expert insights, here's your host, best-selling author, speaker, and coach, Blair Palmer. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of the Brilliant Gamble podcast. I hope you are really well. Before I get into talking about this week's show, I just want to remind you about our checklist. This is the Escape the Rat Race checklist. It's 70 or more items that you will need to do or think about or consider doing, questions to resolve before you can actually leave your job and start up on your own. So what I did is I thought about all the things I should have done, all the things that sensible people do, all the things that sensible people think about before they hand in their resignation, and all the normal actions that anyone would need to do if they wanted to set up their business and give it the most chance of succeeding. So it covers things like creating a transition plan, it covers all the financial aspects of setting up a business and all the kind of businessy things about registering your domain name and all those kind of things, setting up a website. Um, And it also includes things that you wouldn't necessarily think of like various timings. So identifying the timing that you're going to hand in your resignation, the timing of actually leaving your job, Um, even when you're going to book your first lot of holidays. I think it's really important to think about this stuff. Otherwise, if you're not careful, you can end up already deeply into running your business with no idea when you're going to take a break. And whilst it's fantastically exciting to have a new business, you will need holidays. (laughs) So there are all sorts of things on the list. As I said, 70 plus actions, tasks, questions to resolve that will help to make that transition from doing the job that you do today to doing what you love for a living outside of the corporate nine to five much more enjoyable. It's going to give you a lot more confidence that you've thought everything through and that, you, uh, that you're going to do all the things that are important. I remember lying awake at night thinking about all this stuff when I was thinking of leaving my job back in the 2000s, no, in the 1990s. Oh my gosh, it was a long time ago. Um, and, and my big fear was that I would forget something important. You know, if you've never set up a business before, if you've never left your job to start your own business, how would you know what there was to do? Well, I've got 20 years of experience running my own business and I've worked with hundreds of people who run theirs over the last two decades. And all of that is encompassed into this checklist. So head over to abrilliantgamble.com. I'll put the link on the show notes, but head over to the website and download your free Escape the Rat Race checklist right now. While you're doing that though, you can be listening to today's interview. Now, if you've got itchy feet, (laughs) then there are lots of ways to transition out of your current job and into 
something you'd love a lot more. But I'm not sure that the best way to do it is to take a bet. Today's guest is Mark Hogan, and he took a one pound bet that he couldn't put on a one hour show at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival within 12 months. This was 10 years ago, and on today's show, Mark explained how accepting this challenge changed everything for him. The bet was actually placed by my former business partner, Jim Lawless. I used to run a company called Taming Tigers in Business, and Jim was my business partner. He was the founder of the Taming Tigers concept, and he'd taken a similar bet a few years prior to that when an audience member at one of his speeches bet him a pound that he couldn't become a jockey in a year. And he'd never actually sat on a horse at that point. He took the bet, changed his life. Then he met Mark and set a similar bet for him. Anyway, even if taking a bet isn't the way you want your new adventure to begin, there's lots in here for you. We talk about some of the tricks to becoming a professional speaker, which is what Mark does today and what the life of a pro speaker actually is like, what you need to do to get started as a speaker facing your fears and the importance of sometimes having your back against the wall with no other option but to go for it. The concept of the editor, which he'll describe what the editor is, and I'm sure you'll recognize it. I certainly did. And the universal lessons that he learned from becoming a comedian that will help us all to make our dreams a reality. So settle back and enjoy us sharing our experiences of speaking and the importance of putting yourself out of your comfort zone to do something you'll love for a living. Mark, so good to have you on the show. I've already been laughing. Mind you, I was laughing at my own joke, but just, just as I pressed record, but I think it bodes well for our conversation. How are you? I'm very good. It's uh, just finished. We've just finished Easter, so it's been lovely. I've had a few days off. The sun has been shining, so all is well with the world. Absolutely. I want to kick off this interview by asking you about something that's just so interesting about you, a bet that you took almost exactly 10 years ago. It was a bet that my former business partner, Jim Lawless, uh, set for you. He'd been set a bet probably about 10 years before that, not quite as long as that. Exactly, yeah, probably. Yeah, so he'd been bet a pound by an, by an audience member that he couldn't become a jockey in a year. He accepted the bet and sure enough, a year later, he's riding in races, televised races, jockey club rules, all of that. And he saw you and thought, aha, I get to have my <laughs> back with this guy. So what, what actually happened? Well, so I had been interested in speaking. Uh, I was working had a, a, working in the pharmaceutical industry. I'd worked in in sales and marketing. I'd worked in uh, uh, I'd worked for a, a, an international defence company called GC Marconi, which is now British Aerospace. I then had worked for British American Tobacco, so cigarettes, and then I worked in pharmaceuticals. So I had done you know weapons, fags, and drugs. So I was pretty you know the whole ethical sales thing. I was pretty not great at, and, and probably pretty burned out. So. At that point, uh, I was I was beginning to look to what I could possibly do outside of those industries, and um, you know, if I'm completely honest, I'm a bit of a pain in the neck if you employ me, because I'm always going, why, 
why are we doing that? Why? And, and so eventually I started to go and do some courses. I did courses on NLP and psychology and hypnosis and CBT and all this kind of stuff just outside for work for fun. And I thought, oh, perhaps I can, I can parlay this into, into a, 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 you know, a, you know, what's the modern problem? Side hustle uh, at the time. And I started doing stuff and I started speaking at, at, you know, at little, I started arranging my own little seminars, public seminars uh, in a church hall in Richmond and people would come along and I videotaped them and then I'd try and sell them on the internet. And it was, you know, it was a very small little thing, but it was, it was a hobby. And eventually uh, I was speaking at an event and I was just speaking at a, at a, at, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a small room doing like 20 minutes on body language. It wasn't anything exciting. And I was talking about risks and whatever. And Jim was there because he was obviously, you know, at the main event of the day and, and all those things. And um, I knew of Jim, I, I had, you know, but I hadn't, I hadn't seen him speak or whatever. And um, I'd done my bit. And uh, then I, he got up and did his bit and, of course, wowed the audience. And you kind of go, oh, that's how it's done. Because, um, <laughs> you know, I had kind of, in that very traditional way, I'd done, like, these are my slides and this is what I'm going to cover and la, 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 la. And um, Jim, sort of, Jim was saying to me, you know, well, what risks have you taken in life? You mentioned taking a risk, doing something different. What risks have you ever taken? And I said, well, I just got engaged and... Um, I haven't really, if I'm honest, and, you know, that, and he said, well, if you don't mind me saying, he said, um, you're quite funny, um, which is a lot like a lover saying you're quite good in bed. And, uh, <laughs> I, um, I'd take it, I'd take yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, so, and, and, and he said, so, um, he said, but let's be honest, it's very easy to make a, a corporate audience laugh um, because, you know, they're not expecting very much. And I kind of went, well, I don't know if that's true. You know, I think, you know, you try and inject a bit of humor into things and you know your material and la, 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 la. And he said, well, prove it. He said, prove to me that uh, a corporate audience is like any other type of audience. And at that point, the little voice in my head started going, uh, okay. Um, and I'd never, uh, and he said, like a comedy audience. Now, I had never been to a, a, a comedy club. I, I, you know, I'd seen Michael McIntyre's Roadshow on TV. I knew, like all these things, they probably had open mic nights and, and that kind of stuff. And this was June 2008. And, and uh, I said, well, do you want me to go and like do five minutes at an open mic night or something? You know. And he said, no, 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 no. You can do something uh, much bigger than that or at least much further north. And I went, uh, and he said, the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. Now... I had heard of the Edinburgh Comedy Festival. I'd never been to Edinburgh. And I went, what? What? Do you want me to, like, isn't that on in August? Do you want me to go up and do, like, five minutes, you know, at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival? And he said, no, 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 no. Um, I want you to do a one-hour, one-man show for the full run of the festival. You know, I kind of looked at him and thought to myself, who's the bloody comedian here? And he said, well, he said, I'll make it worth your while. Um, he said, I'll bet you. And of course, I said, um, 
you know, I said, well, how much would you bet me? And he said, a pound. And then, you know, back in 2008, a pound was worth a lot of money. So I took the bet. He gave me a year to prepare. So I had a year to do it. And, and that was it. You know, we, we were off. And the, for me, I mean, I was, I was scared. But actually, in, in some respects, my naivety in not knowing how hard it would be was actually the greatest strength in, in some respects. Because actually, if I'd spent three or four months researching it and doing it and all that stuff, I probably would have gone, no, 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 this is not for me. So in, in some respects, my, my positivity to go, well, how hard can this be um, was actually a good thing in a way. Because I think I always was worked out that well, I can always go back to work. I can always step back into sales. It's, I've got some money saved. If this doesn't work out, you know, and I had no grand plan after it. It was just to do the bet. Um, I thought, if nothing else, I'll have a good story, you know, just to tell around the, in, in pubs. Uh, and, and that's kind of what it, what it was. And, 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 and we were off. So how, I mean, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. How, um, you say you weren't nervous, you accepted the bet and you didn't feel frightened. Was there a point where that changed? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In about a, a week, um, I literally started to go to comedy clubs in London. So uh, there's the comedy stores. I mean, that's the thing about uh, London. There are hundreds of these tiny little comedy clubs you never see or hear about. And some of them have uh, well-respected acts that you would know on TV who are practicing their, their trying out new material, that kind of thing. So you you start to go, and you know I'm a I, you know I'm a pretty chassis guy, as you probably have already guessed. And you know I would go up to comedians at the end of the lock really enjoyed that that was fantastic um i've been better pound la 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 what do you think and they all looked at me and went are you insane you're at, there's no one does a one hour one man show at the edinburgh festival within a year from start you know not unless they're a genius and you know i think even michael mcintyre had been like on the circuit for eight years before he did his first one hour show at edinburgh you know it's 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 not how you do things and they're like, you could do it, but you'll be terrible. And, and, you know, no one is ready in that amount of time. And at that point, the, the voice in my head was absolutely going, oh, no, what have I done? Because like in Egypt, I had started to tell people I'd be better pound and I was going to do this thing. And, it, you know, again, that was probably a good thing, because if I hadn't have told my wife, my parents, my friends, they then I could have just sloped off and not done it. But because I said I made a big deal of it, suddenly I was like, my back was against the wall. And I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and, and so that was, that was very scary. But luckily, um, Jim came to my rescue. Um, um, Jim uh, had a, a PR lady. Um, and... Uh, she knew, uh, she did a lot of work in comedy, and she knew uh, a person called Logan Murray, who teaches a comedy course. It's called the Amuse Moose Comedy Course, or it was, he, he now is off on his own, and he's written books on comedy and whatever. And, and she goes, they, they do a course, a 12-week, 36-hour course. And I thought, 
I'm in. Um, so I went on a course that uh, would allegedly teach me how to be funny. Um, and that was, that was uh, uh, you know, in a many ways, that was the, my savior because I think, I don't know about you, but when I speak, people seem to think that speaking or telling jokes or whatever it may be is innate. It's a gift we just have, we're born with it, and that we can just, you know, it's, 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 it's not a skill, it's, it's, it's a gift. And that might be true, you know, I am Irish, you know, we like a, a good story and, you know, we like bending the truth um, uh, for comedy's sake. But I think once you go on a course, what you actually start to realize, there was a rhythm to it. There was a technique. There was the way you could craft a joke and, and all those things that's something I hadn't really thought about before. And actually then when you start to look back at when people had laughed at my jokes, you know, like in the pub, I was following those techniques, but not necessarily realizing it. There was, you know, there was a way of doing it, like crafting a story. And I think that really helped something because it helped me um, begin to get an idea of how this was going to work. Yeah. So a few months ago, I was giving a speech to a senior audience and then a, in this particular company. And then a, a few weeks later, I was coming in to speak to their next level down. And after the second speech, I heard through the grapevine that some of the guys who'd been at both, uh, the most senior guys, were disappointed that I had told the same jokes, that I told the same stories. Yeah. And I explained that, you know, actually the speech was quite radically different. It had different headings. I mean, it was, it was completely targeted at the audience that I was presenting to. But those stories have been honed over six or seven years that I've been speaking. And as you say, they have a rhythm. I know that they're going to land well. They're going to, they come in certain places where it's a bit dead without the joke. Um, the joke is memorable, which means the point I'm making following becomes memorable because people remember the joke. I'm not going to invent new jokes for, <laughs> for every single speech. And I think that this is really important because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is people who want to become professional speakers and there are lots of people who mm. would make great speakers and they've got something great to share with an audience um but i mean like me when i was starting and maybe like you don't realize that a speech is a is a scientifically constructed piece of theater Absolutely. and it lands well because everything is done on purpose Absolutely. And even, and that's the thing, even to the point where if I made a mistake and it got a laugh, then that mistake might go into the next version of the speech. You know, that ad lib was suddenly going, oh, that gets a laugh. That ad lib's going in. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there are bits where I pause and say, actually, while I'm on it, and I, 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 there's a bit where I, it looks like I've just thought of it on the stage. But of course, I do it not every time, but where the audience seems to need that point, that point is something I can just pull out. So, so this is something you learn in the, in the comedy training. Yeah, very much so. And, and um, what happened then? So you did the course. So, so it was, there was two fundamental things that were really important about the course. Logan said to us that the, the first thing um, 
that you must do on this course is you're not to do any stand up at all until you finish the course. Uh, you're certainly not to go to the comedy store in London because that is, uh, you know, that's the world's or the UK's biggest comedy club, I think still is, but it can destroy a new act's confidence. And they do like open mic nights, but you're not to do it. Cool, great. And then he said, and he said, the biggest enemy of a comic is the editor. And we all went, what's the editor? And he said, it's the voice in your head that says you can't get up on stage and tell that joke. You can't say that thing. You can't, you know, you can't get up on stage. And I'm thinking, that's, that's my voice. You know, that's the voice in my head. Um, so that, you know, and that was literally, and I don't think um, uh, Logan uh, had, you know, I don't know if he does the editor speech with other people. I think we were just, you know, it was just a conversation that he had with the group. But it absolutely at that moment resonated with me more than anything else because in my head, the voice, the editor was screaming at this moment, what have I done? I can't, I'm not that funny, you know, I'm quite funny. And, and, and all that stuff started to, to, to go. So that was a real major moment. We went, okay, so actually in, in some respects, this course isn't just about learning to craft the jokes. This course is about getting comfortable speaking in front of an audience and telling jokes and not being afraid and not wanting necessarily the love of the audience. And, and I thought that was, that was really, that was a, a major breakthrough. And I think that the, the second element was, I remember uh, kind of sitting with Logan near the end of this 12 weeks course and everyone was much younger than me. I think there was one older lady, but pretty much everyone was in their twenties. And, and I, I was what, 34 at the time. And uh, I remember saying to him, you know, so Logan, at the end of this 36 hours, how much material will I have? And he kind of looked at me, well, Mark, with a lot of hard work and dedication and effort, you'll have a good five minutes. You know, and I'm going, oh, I've got, I've got 60 minutes. That's 12 times, you know, that's 36 times 12. That's 360. That's 400 hours of, of work I've got to do. And then I've got, holy, well, I've got, I've actually got work to do. Well, that's another 400 hours. You know, I've got Googling YouTube time. Uh, that's another couple of hundred hours. You know, my wife wants a baby. That's another half an hour gone. I'm not, I'm not going to have enough time. I'm just just not going to have enough time and that's when I really started to panic and and I I'm, I went back to Logan and said I'm, you know I've got nine months now and I'm I'm not ready and he 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 declined to help me uh, <laughs> in a very nice way um, but he recommended a, a lady uh, called Hills Jago uh, who was a, a female comedy producer and, you know, I had a chat with her and she said, well, look, you speak for a living. Uh, you, you seem quite funny. Who, uh, 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 and she said, I will help you get ready for the show. And that was, you know, that for me was a, 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 another moment where it's amazing how many people, if you ask, will help you. Um, most of us, you know, you know, I'm a bit of a, I want to be the hero of my own story. But actually, sometimes just that, you'd be surprised what happens when you, when you ask. I call it, if you're alone, you'll go home, which is this idea that it's only successful if you did it entirely on your own. But the reality is that we tend to give up when we're on our own. We, we tend to 
you know, who's going to hold you to account? And you do need people who are going to hold you to account, people that you told and now you're embarrassed if you don't do it, but also people who are actively going to step in and offer their help. When I mean, you try to do these things entirely on your own, no one even knows that they could have helped you, let alone be able to put themselves forward. So, so I mean, and, and one of the other things that I get from your story is the, these are life lessons, right? I mean, this, this idea of the editor, that's exactly the same voice that would stop someone starting their own business or stop someone identifying a niche that no one else is fulfilling and might tempt them to do things the same way as everybody else in an industry does it. The same voice, right? I think um, that voice, I do think we all have the voice and it's the voice uh, we have when we, we, we even have the voice at work. Uh, I think we have the voice when we were, you know, it's our parents' voice when we were children. It was, you know, uh, don't do that. Uh, being clever doesn't suit you. All the things that your parent, you know, stranger danger, don't talk to strangers, all that stuff that we get thrown at. And, and even in work, we learn not to say things. Uh, so someone will come in to the office and they've got this new idea. We're going to do this and this and this and this and this. And you go, uh-huh. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And then you walk out of the room and you go, that'll never work because da, 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 da. And you might say it to your colleagues or you might even just say it to yourself, but you never actually say it to the people in the room because we've learned to suppress publicly the voice because we don't want to appear scared or stupid or silly or negative in some respects. But we talk to ourselves all the time and and invariably the voice very rarely goes you're awesome you know, the voice normally says you're an idiot you know why are you doing that or you're tired or you're hungry or you'll never amount to anything or all the things my voice has said to me and and you know i think it's really important to point out just because i get up on stage and talk and i and i make a living that doesn't mean the voice has gone away. The voice is still there and I'm still having to fight the voice, you know, which sounds like I'm a mental, but, uh, you know, I'm still fighting the voice on a daily basis. There's still things that absolutely scare me. There's still times where the voice berates me or uh, makes me give up on things before I should do, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to learn to fight the voice but you can. And I think that's the point. And the more you do it, not only do you get better at fighting the voice, but your life experiences prove to you that you can, you can fight it or you can do the thing you want to do. Because every time you, you, you just step over that edge of comfort and you, you survive, it's just another thing in the bank that says, no, no, you can go further, you're all right. You did this, you can do that. And I think that's quite a, you know, a, a really powerful thing. You know, we're not set in stone. This isn't how it is meant to be. And in, and in fact, the older you get, you build up these bank of experiences that actually you can learn from and use to push yourself further. Uh, which I think is a really, I think that's, I mean, for me, that's a really important thing. I'd like to think that, 40, I mean, 45, uh, uh, you know, in June, 
that my best years aren't over, you know, that I've still got more to do, you know. Um, so I think, you know, and I've built up some experience about what I know works and what doesn't work. And, and, and I still have to push myself to be a bit scared. And that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I wonder, you know, you, you got to the end, you did Edinburgh. Hmm. And that kind of launched you into a into a whole new, I mean, when you took the bet, you just couldn't have known that this was going to happen. No, but it launched not. you onto the keynote speaker stage, right? So, so how, did, how did that happen? How did you manage to leverage that one pound to, to, to <laughs> make a living? Well, I, I, think that, I think there was a couple of things. One, I understood, because I'd worked in sales all my life, that actually, um, you know, having spoken to Jim and, and various people, I realized that, that um, there was a world of, of, of booking agents out there and all this stuff that I hadn't been aware of. I didn't realize, you know, there was booking agents that would book speakers. Um, this was pre-LinkedIn, really. Um, so I knew that I needed to get those people on, on, on side as such. So literally at that point, I went out and I did, uh, I, I, would, I, I would use Yahoo chat groups and I would, and I would run little one-hour seminars for free on a variety of topics for, for, for months at a time. And I would do, and I'd get a load of people in the room. And, and at the end of every set everything i'd give them a, a a form to fill out and i'd ask them their name who they worked for and you know what they thought of it you know and so by the end of that period you know i had you know 20 or 30 testimonials from people who worked for various companies and then i went okay and i recorded i recorded a um a show reel in front of using these audiences. It wasn't great, but it was it was okay. And then I contacted every single agency and said, "This is my show reel. This is my story. Uh, this is some testimonials. Do you want me to come in? Do you want me to perform for you?" And literally, that's what I did. Now, some of those speaker agencies took no interest you know because you know there's people on tv and famous people and all these other things but enough of them did you know i got in in the door and 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 then of course they'd hire you hopefully for an event because what would happen is someone would say well a speaker said we want someone to, to to do a motivational speech they hardly ever they always call them motivational speeches i don't know why and and um you know we'd like someone irish we think Dara Breen and they go, well, he's 20,000 pounds an hour. Uh, Mark's about, you know, a 20th of that. And they go, we'll have him. Um, uh, uh, and that was it. And so I got my foot in the door and the feedback was, was good or okay. You know, I don't really know. So they, like all of these things, you will only ever be hired again and again by an agent if they trust you, if, if they know you're going to show up on time, they know you're going to be well prepared. They know, I mean, you know, I, I when I speak, 
even if I'm on at one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm there at 10 a.m. Um, I don't need to be there at 10 a.m., but, but they need me to be there at 10 a.m. so they feel safe and secure and, and all those things that the speaker, you know, the, these companies need. So once they knew you were professional and you got some nice, nice feedback, they would hire you again. And, and look, I think you're possibly only as good as your last feedback in maybe some respects, but that's just the nature of the beast. But once they understand that you're good at, at you, you are a professional, you are treating this like a professional job. Um, and, you know, as you said earlier on, my speech is crafted, you know, and, you know, I have written it out word for word. I have memorized it word for word. All the pauses, all the little sections, all the jokes, all those elements. Um, and I am 90% confident that it will land in nearly most situations. Now, you can never be 100% confident because you just don't know what the people bring into the room. Um, but I think that was the point. I actually really approached it in a very professional way. I knew I realized I needed testimonials. I needed a show reel. I needed um, uh, the speech written out. I needed all those things. And then when I presented myself to the speaker agents, when they said, "Have you got a um, a bio?" Yes. Have you got a list of the topics you can cover? Yes. Have you got? Uh, you know, I made it really easy for them to buy from me. That was that was the key. Rather than just showing up and going, well, don't you get me the work? You know, the agents don't work like that. You have to give them all the stuff, and if you do that, and you're good, they will find you the work. You. That's exactly exactly how I went about it. We must have been advised by the same person. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly how I went about it, and it was Jim that that told me about all of that. You know, at the point at which you're calling agents, as you said, they've got, I mean, you only have to go to their websites to see they are inundated with every kind of speaker from the Absolutely. very top kind of world stage politicians and comedians and entertainers and all of that down to, you know, people like me. Um, so, so they've got every combination of different expertise and price range and all of that kind of thing so if you are not ready if you come across as this is my first time I don't really know what I'm doing I, I'm not really a speaker yet can you help me to be a speaker they're just gonna say no you, it, it seems as though you have to present yourself as I'm already speaking um, I'm just now looking for representation that's the that's the only thing at this point and so you mentioned a few things that you need you need a bio you need testimonial you need to know what you're speaking about your topics mm. and the show reel how important is the show reel because that's i think one of the places where people sometimes cut corners and think they can do without it um uh, for me uh, uh, i think it was it doesn't have to be okay so the, the first thing is we are now in a beautiful multimedia age where we have a camera phone on everything we've got and you know 1080 hp and all that stuff so firstly and we've all got macs and they've all do beautiful software editing and and all that great stuff so the first thing is you do not need it to be you know it's not got to be a two million pound production you know you know it doesn't have to be all that you know um and my 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 show will still probably pretty rubbish but 
but the, the point is is that um, if you the, the trick is what most people I, I mean look and and the thing is as well what I started to do was um, I would do speeches for the public and occasionally someone from that would go could you do a speech for my company you know okay I can do that if you let me film it and they go okay <laughs> fine um and you know i found a, a, a friend who was a, a videographer and charged me 500 quid for the day whatever it was um you know i didn't have any money at the time but i went okay in for a penny in for a pound paid him and, and he created me a showreel and that was probably the best 500 pounds i've ever spent um, you know, because my first gig was £1,500. So literally, it paid for itself within, you know, within the first, I think I remember at the time I'm giving my first speech and 20 minutes in, I'm going, oh, I paid for my showreel. You know, literally, that, you know, ooh, uh, that's good. Um, and so therefore, it was, it was, you know, for me, that's a really important thing. And I think you can now hire a room really easily fantastic looking beautiful hotel rooms for 500 quid even if it's a, it doesn't have to be in front of 300 people i mean my show reel was in front of like 10 15 20 people it wasn't it wasn't big but it was inter inter interspersed with with some testimonials and and some photographs some still images and it had me doing some jokes um and it was enough for people to go, okay, he knows what he's doing. And because I wasn't charging, and maybe this is the wrong way to approach it, but because I wasn't charging £20,000 for an hour, the people who were hiring me weren't expecting a BBC production on the showreel. Um, now, I probably need to redo mine if I'm completely honest now. Uh, but, but I think ultimately, it gets to the point where you do enough videos i mean and we'll talk a little bit about some of that in a, in a little while no doubt um and they see enough testimonials where they trust you uh, but at the start they don't know who you are they really need to see something so anything that you can produce that's any way halfway decent and if it's in front of an audience even better um that will really help convince a person who's scared because let's be clear about it the people who book you sometimes are not the decision makers. They are the HR department or whatever. And, and they don't want to make a mistake. And they don't want someone to come on stage and swear or say something controversial or all the things that you know, we've all seen speakers do it, uh, no doubt. So anything that we can give them that makes them feel safe and secure in their decision absolutely helps. And I think the, the show reel is, is, is part and parcel of that. Mm -hmm. what about the speech itself then i mean we touched on this before in terms of it being crafted and all of that kind of thing but what's the difference between a speech that you might give if as an internal mm. uh so you know speaking to your own colleagues or, or or people within your own organization and the kind of speech that you might give if you're the invited guest and you're being paid to come in and speak so um I think there's two things. One, 
There are absolutely, I have sat in awe of internal speakers. You know, I've sat in days and they have been excellent. Really, really, really good. And you go, well, you could, you could easily be a speaker if you so wished. You're, you're good. You are solid. You know what you're doing. Um, but I would suggest that is the, the exception rather than the norm. A lot of people are asked to speak at an event, you know, at their internal event. They're told they've got an hour. They might not necessarily need an hour, but they've been given an hour. And they have to have an hour because the sales department have had an hour and the marketing department have had an hour. So the engineering department definitely have to have an hour. So there's that. So there's some of that ego stuff going on in the room. Well, I need to have an hour. They from finance has had an hour. Um, and nobody needs an hour. And um, so, so firstly, they've got, they've got that. So they have a, a time block, which actually no one knows how much words are in that time block. I mean, I know that five minutes because of stand-up is somewhere between 500 and 750 words. I know that. And I also know, therefore, that an hour is 500 times 12 is 6,000 words, 7,000 words. I know that. Um, and so suddenly they're, they're having to be asked to speak. They write their slides first, which is what they always do. Um, and they might rehearse it once or twice because they've got a job to do, a normal day job. And then they get up and they hope for the best. And sometimes that can really pay off in spades and other times it, it won't. Whilst I approach it from the complete other way that, that I write a speech, I've written seven and a half thousand words. I've put in elements that can be taken in or out if I'm running over or under time. I know my slides. If I, I mean, I do use slides, but more for the, for the audience than for me. Um, I know my slides back to front, left to right, upside down. I mean, literally, you can pop a slide up on, you know, slide number 30, and I would be able to go backwards from that slide, or I'd be able to go forwards from that slide. I know every one of them. Um, you know, I don't need a comfort monitor. I know them. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, if nothing else, whether people like my speech or not, which is fine, because some people won't, um, then no one can say, he didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't professional. And, you know, and don't get me wrong, things go wrong. I've seen compute, computers have failed. Mics have fallen off stage. You know, I've had the, the Theresa May moment where things have fallen off the back of a stage when I'm speaking. I had a person have a heart attack in the middle of a speech. I've had, um, you know, I've, I've got on stage just as uh, I've been announced to go on stage when... Uh, the leader of the company has announced that someone has died at the conference. I have had it all. I mean, and, and that, that, that I'm not lying. Those things have happened. And, and therefore, by, but I know because I've memorized it, because I'm so comfortable with the material, all that other stuff, just noise. I, I can, I, it, it doesn't affect my performance. And as you said, it is a performance. It's a piece of one man theater for the sake of an hour. And like all theater, um, um, you're trying to create a mood and, and an energy. And some people will love it. Some people won't love it. You never know what will resonate with people because you're covering various points. 
but there's never going to be a moment where I go, where was I? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, that's not going to happen. I know where I am. I mean, it, it, you know, and I can go off on a tangent and come back. And I think that's probably the real key is that most people, you know, when I teach people to give speeches, because I'm often asked to do that afterwards, you know, sometimes a corporate event will lead to someone coming to me and say, can you help me write a speech for such and such? That they, they want to start off with the slides. And I'm like, no, no, no. The slides are the last thing we do. The first thing we do is we write it out. We start with what you want to say, not what the slides will say. And then we, 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 we start. And that's, I think, just a background in comedy. You know, if you see comedians, um, certainly amateur ones, they've written the jokes out on their hands. You know, we, we are learning it verbatim. Uh, even though it appears we're not, we are. And that, I think that, that has really helped me in writing a speech. Um, and therefore, I think that's what separates a professional speaker, for the want of a better phrase, from a, from a, from a good amateur. Yeah. There's something in there about um, the intention you mentioned about a performance. Mm. And I wonder if what's happening when you give a speech as an internal speaker is your, your primary motivation is to inform. Absolutely. You know, I have information, facts um, that I need to share with this audience. And so I'm going to use the time to share these important facts with these people. Because actually, there are very few facts in my speech and probably the case for you as well. Sometimes I throw in a nice little bit of data, you know, because yep. some people like it and it shows that I'm kind of clever and that I read. <laughs> I've read of credibility. You. I know what I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I got yeah. from a report that someone else yeah. read, so it must be right. Um, so, so I do a little bit of that, but fundamentally, there's no facts in it. And and um, so that's never the intention. It's much more about you know what does the audience need? Almost certainly, they need to be entertained because chances are. Um, they have not been entertained until you get on the stage. <laughs> they may be done four or five hours already without being entertained. So if that's the least you do, um, then you've done something quite important, I think, for those people. And yeah, if they remember one there's joke. There's more from there than, than just information download. I think it's how you make people feel. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I deliberately, there are elements in my speech where I make people feel uncomfortable. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and it's funny because I can guarantee that if uh, I had provided my speech in advance to, that, to, to the company and they saw what I say to make them feel a bit scared, they'd go, oh, no, we don't want to do that. But actually, making them feel a little bit uncomfortable and then, you know, uh, undercutting it with a joke that makes a release of tension makes a really powerful emotional moment. And let's be clear about it. You know, you've only got to look at the state of Brexit, Donald Trump, all that other stuff, that emotions are just as important as facts uh, in, in today's world. And we as people 
I mean, I love a fact as much as any man, but I'm, I know from, from the things that I've remembered over the years and when I've been moved or I thought that's a really interesting point. It's very rarely a fact. It's generally someone said something that has emotionally resonated with me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't know the editor, you know, where it came from. I didn't really understand, uh, you know, the, 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 the neocortex and all the other bits of the brain where the voice comes from and our, our, our fight and flight response. I mean, I could talk about that, but I don't talk about that. I talk about the editor and everyone gets it. I mean, I could dress it up with all the signs, but actually, does anyone care? Possibly you might in a book, but I think in a speech, no, make, make them feel something. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes it memorable, isn't it? I mean, we, when you come out of a movie, you've sat in the movie for a couple of hours. You know, you remember whole chunks of the film, whole, whole chunks of dialogue. You remember the names of all the characters. They didn't have one PowerPoint slide, you know. They just took you on a, an emotional journey, a visual emotional journey. And so that's, you know, that's, that's, if you can do that over two hours in a movie, you can certainly do it in an hour. Absolutely. So what are, are there any um, downsides? You know, that, like for some people, being a professional speaker is their worst idea of hell. I mean, just, <laughs> and they would do anything rather than do that. But for a small proportion of people, people like me, people like you, some of, some of my clients, they would, they love speaking and, and they mm. would love to make money out of speaking. Is there anything in your experience that's a sort of downside of that unexpected downside to being a professional speaker? Okay, so there's a couple of things. Um, I am scared every time I guess on stage. Let's, let's not lie. I am scared. I, you know, if you're going to get up in front of, and, and I, and for me, actually a small i mean so i do you know i've spoken to three thousand people at a time and actually give me three thousand people any day of the week they are easy give me 20 senior managers who've been told that the company's in turnaround and they're all gonna, they're all going to lose their jobs in a few months time that's a scary audience so for me actually the bigger the number the better ridiculously but but so I am always, because I, I, I'm not scared, I'm not, pe see that's the thing, it's not being petrified, it's not being getting on a plane and being absolutely terrified that the plane's going to take off and you're going to crash and die. What I'm scared about is that I want these people to have a great time in that hour, so therefore it's about, I care that it is perfect and everything else that's going on in my life whether I mean, you know, and you know, there was a, there, you know, my wife and I don't have children. Okay, just I know this sounds an odd thing to 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 go tangent to go off on, and uh, uh, you know, we tried IVF and all kinds of things, and it didn't work. And so, my personal life at home was was hard. You know, it was emotionally very sad, and. But the people who had paid me thousands of pounds to speak of didn't know that, didn't need to know that, didn't care about that. You know, all my job was to get that audience to have a great time and emotionally resonate. So for me, that, that performance piece is going, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. 
it's that whole tears of the clown thing where you kind of go, doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes. My job right now for this one hour is to give you everything I've got, to put it all out there and make you have a great time. So, so you're, you're scared and excited and you know because you prepared, because you've done the stuff, you've done the hours, you've done all the training, that actually you never tip over into, into, into petrified fear. It's just that, that level of anticipation and excitement because uh, you want to do a good job. Uh, and that's, I think, quite an important thing that everyone says, you know, when you speak, to, well, you're a natural, you must never get scared to go on stage. No, 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 that's not true. And actually, I don't believe, I think, you know, I'm of the belief, if anyone gets on stage and isn't scared, something is wrong. That that person doesn't care enough about that audience or is just relaying facts or is just actually being scared is showing you care. You know, scared, I mean, you know, scared is cared with S and E off it, and E off it, isn't it? That's what it is, it's part of the same thing. So um, I'll try and work that out, that sounds quite good actually, I'll use that somewhere. Uh, that's a video this week. Um, so that, that's a really important thing. So I think that's really important that, that a professional speaker, um, has a job to do it is a job and uh, it doesn't matter what's going on in the background if you've committed to doing it you do your very 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 best to deliver it and not worry about it. just worry about that audience guessing what they need from it mm. so that's the first thing i think the other element of speaking is and, and you know it's it it does. I mean, it is a lovely life. Don't get me wrong. I've stayed in some very nice hotels. I've traveled around the world. Um, you know, uh, I've, I've done some wonderful business class flying. Um, it has been great. Uh, um, and I've probably stayed in far nicer hotels on business trips than I go, than I, than I pay for my wife and I to be <laughs> I'm not paying that amount of money. Um, uh, so it is a lovely life. But um, I don't know about you, Blair, but, you know, I speak, you know, on a good month. I might, you know, there's been there's been months where I've spoken six times in a month. But on average, it's probably two, maybe three times. Sometimes, and in the summer, it's once a month. You know, it's not it's not um, you're not you're not literally running from speech to speech every day. I mean, you know, I'm not I make a nice living and I get paid very well, but I'm not uh, I'm not out five days a week giving speeches. So firstly, that's the thing you've got to realize is that um, uh, you, you, you are on your own for quite a bit of it. Um, and you know, I'm, I've got a dog, I'm used to being on my own, so I'm comfortable with that. I think because I worked in sales as well, and it was, you know, sales men's jobs tend to be, they're on their own. So I'm, I'm comfortable being on my own. But a lot of people, I think, find that hard. It's like people find it hard to work from home than they do in an office. They like the buzz. They like the water cooler moment. They like talking about Game of Thrones or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and I have to get used to the fact that actually, um, you know, for, for three days of the week, I'm on my own. And then for two days, I'm performing. Uh, and, and that's cool. Uh, it's a lovely experience because you get to see lots of different companies and personalities, et cetera, et cetera. So you're never bored, but 
um, those other three days you are also doing stuff. You're not, you know, I mean, you can't see it because it's out of shop, but I've got a lot of tax to do at the moment. You know, I've got the VAT bill. I've got all that stuff that I just makes me die inside. Um, you know, I've got the second draft of the book there. You know, it's all, all that stuff that you have to do besides the speaking that makes it work. And I think a lot of people just think, oh, I'll have all this free time and it'll be great. But, you know, my mom and my mom and dad still think, you know, I've been doing this 10 years and my mom's still going, will you ever get a proper job? You know, she doesn't, doesn't get it. And if I say, well, I can't come over today, man, I'm, I'm working. And she's going, what do you mean you're working? You're at home. You know, she doesn't, just doesn't get that, you know. No, no, no. Even when I'm not on stage, I am still working. The only difference is, is I get to choose when and how I work. So if I want to get up at eight o'clock and go to the gym, I can do that. If I want to go and walk the dog for a couple of hours and then work a bit later in the evening, I can do that. So it's the flexibility that's amazing, but it's not, don't think, don't get into it thinking you're not going to work. And I think that's the mistake people make. They see the money and they think, oh, this is easy money. And, and they don't realize, actually, no, there is, there is some work involved. You know, you, you don't just get up, rock up and do your thing. And even when you speak, you're not doing that because you're there for the day. You might be there for two days because you're flowing and all those other things. There's, there's work involved. Yeah, I think, I think the money thing aspect is really interesting. So um, I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago who... Um, is just launching as a speaker. We were talking about fees. And uh, he shared what he was thinking of charging for a speech. Now, he's just starting, so hmm. fair enough. But it was in the low hundreds. Right. And I think that was based on coming from a corporate job. Well, five days of that a week, I'll be Absolutely. laughing, right? Whereas, of course, as you say, if you get two of those a month, you'll be lucky. The rest of the time you're still working, you're just not getting paid to work. Absolutely. So you need to make sure that you, and even if you are thinking, well, I'm going to be worth 3,000, you know, a, a gig, and you think, oh, well, four or five of those a month, you know, I'll be doing six figures every year. But you, you're not going to get four or five. Well, you might. If you're Jim, you might. Um, you might get four or five a day or a week if you're Jim. But, but for most speakers, it's not every day. It's not every month of the year. No. There are down periods. We've just had, I mean, April was completely dead for me. Absolutely. It's Easter. No one, no yeah. one hires you at Easter. Easter, kind of Brexit uncertainty. Absolutely. No one's running a conference right now. Because, no. You know. How do you get up and tell gonna... 200 people what's going on when you don't know what's going what's on? on? <laughs> they can't tell people what's going on because they don't know what's going on. So as soon as they know what's going on, they'll hold their conference. So we're all kind of waiting for that. So I think you have to really be, um, you need maybe other sources of income. Mm. I mean, I know you've leveraged it into courses and various different things you can do. Yeah. Um, and then I agree with you about that loneliness. I think the worst time is the drive home or the flight home. You know, you've been on stage. People have been crowding around you, telling you how amazing it was, wanting to talk to you about everything. But then you have to do the two or the three hours or the six hour flight, whatever it is, on yeah. your own. And that's a, that's a lonely moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's funny, there is the, the, you know, there is the adrenaline 
rush you know if it goes well and and uh, and you do get people go that really resonate me and they want to take a picture or a photo and you find you feel like a little rock star for for that moment um and you know i i have a you know i go on stage and i have i have a, 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 a some handmade suits which are beautiful and but but you know what people don't see is i drive to an event or i fly to an event i mean a t-shirt and jeans and then you know certainly if i'm driving i've got the suit in the back of the car in a in a in a in a you know a bag to protect it from the dog hair from where the dog's been sitting in the car uh, uh and i get out of the car and i either get changed in the disabled toilet or or sometimes because i'm because i'm jack i'll just do it in the car park because you know whatever um and you, you have to bring a spare shirt just in case someone spills wine on you because that's happened uh, uh and so you get in you put your shoes on and you, you go in and you you know you look great and you look a million dollars or whatever and then you finish you get out you sneak into the toilet you get out of your suit again you put on your 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 travel clothes uh, and you drive home uh, and, and 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 you think and, and you you're driving back from you know because invariably you know why yes i have been to guitar oh man florida but i also spend a lot of time in birmingham that's that's really that's you know that's where we are we're in birmingham most of the time and, and birmingham is a beautiful city but you know i have spent a lot of my evenings traveling home and having a kfc in you know watford gap service station you know i've literally been people have said i've been brilliant and amazing and 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 two hours later you know i'm in watford gap by myself you know with just a you know a a, a 12 piece finger licking good box of chicken to keep me company um uh, and you know and that he's not glamorous <laughs> no but you know it could be worse right oh yeah no no no, no. let's no no no, no yeah because i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm trying to tell people that you know actually no absolutely i you know i love the fact that you call this the brilliant gamble because absolutely could i have earned more money in the corporate world probably actually i was doing well you know i'd like to think i was good at my job um la da 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 um but what i do and what we do when we speak is not only is it a lovely thing but when someone comes back to you on facebook on linkedin or even after a speech and goes that thing you said has made a profound impact on my life and i have decided to do this or do something or change and it doesn't necessarily mean leave their job or whatever like that you know because you know i'm hired by corporates they don't want me to talk them into leaving their jobs um, <laughs> That's not the gig. Uh, it was great. Everyone left. Um, no, that, so that's not the gig. But the fact that when it resonates with people, that when you say something that absolutely they come back to you and say, that's changed my life or helped me see the world in a different way, that moment is worth its weight in gold. And no amount of great annual reviews from work are ever going to replace that moment. You know, it doesn't matter how many times they say you're in top, you know, top left-hand box, you know, high performance. That means nothing to when someone comes to go, what you've done is, is made me think about my life in a completely different way. 
and that's where the gamble is definitely worth its worth its worth its thing and and we talk the voice in our head talks ourselves out of taking the gamble and other people's voices talk us out of taking the gamble you know our wives our loved ones our husbands because they don't want to see us fail they want to protect us they want to keep us safe you know our kids all that stuff and that's that's lovely and completely a good thing but you can take a gamble that does not mean you know you don't have to have the jerry Maguire moment and just walk out you, you know you know you don't have to do that that's that's not that's not necessary you can do this in methodical steps and, and prove to yourself that it can work and then leave and make it work and that's what i did you know and I, and and that is a really important element to this you don't have to do take the huge you know life-changing risk but you know there are people who are and do make it work as well you know so there's lots of different ways to skin a cat but but everyone who does it eventually you have to step over the edge you get to that edge and you, you have to step and and what did ask you hang into your notice or whatever it is that you do and it is a scary scary thing but you know what i I think for nearly everyone, I don't, you know, I don't really believe there's not many things in life that are such a big mistake that you cannot roll back from it. Quite frankly, you know, I've not met anyone who started their own business or whatever. Things have gone wrong, all that stuff. But invariably, even if something was a mistake, there's a solution to that problem. It's not being, it's not ended in, 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 in disaster, you know, and, and, and I think that's the same with everything in life, but most of us don't get to that point where we're, we're willing to take the risk. Um, and it's, uh, you know, when I look at all my friends who are very successful and doing very well at work, but when you speak to them, you know, you know, in their moments of contemplative, quiet that they're thinking is there another way to make a living is there another way to do this and 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 what keeps them where they are is is the fear of taking taking the leap taking step over the edge and luckily you know what i've discovered is when you do people will a help you and b uh you'll find a way you know fear is a great motivator <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Mark, it's been so good to talk to you. And um, I mean, I think that there's something here for everybody, but particularly if you want to be a speaker, um, there's, uh, this is gold dust for anybody. If, if, um, Thank you. I feel I've wrapped it on a bit. but um... No, 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 no. It's been great. It's been great to hear it all and the stories. And um, I've been trying not to laugh too much because I don't want to laugh over the top of you. But my cheeks really hurt from all the oh, smiling. Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> thank Bless you so you. much for being on the show today. Thank you. No, thank you. And, um, you know, uh, you have, you don't know this, but you have been an inspiration to me, as I said, uh, I have, as I said, I have your book from years and years ago. I've made notes. I've made notes. Uh, 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 and, and, and that's the thing. We don't, you don't realize, you probably don't realize, and I don't realize that, that, that we have, we touch people that we never hear from. We then, you know, we, we make a difference. And, 
and you know you know your books and all those things have helped me and there's been moments of a hand them and, and and all those things and we don't realize the power we have to help people and if we do take that gamble do take that risk not only will it change our lives you will help other people and that's just a really amazing thing well i really hope you enjoyed that we ranged all over the place in that conversation it's one of the things i love about talking to the guests that i have on the show they've got so so much to share they've got their own transition stories and then they've got insights about how to do the thing that they do for a living and then they've got these kind of universal lessons about change and about growing as a person and about growing up as a person that no matter what it is that you want to do with your life no matter how you want to find your own sense of purpose and your own sense of balance there are these kind of universal lessons that keep coming up time and time again with the guests on this show and uh, Mark was no exception so I hope you really enjoyed that all of the links to Mark and how to find out more about Mark and to follow him on social media are in the show notes. His website is Mark, that's Mark with a C, markhoganlive.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Mark underscore Hogan. And I would say that LinkedIn actually is a really good place to follow Mark. He does a daily update, a daily film actually, video for um, for LinkedIn and they're very very good they're very inspiring and it's a great way to get a little piece of Mark um, if you're not going to be hiring him to come and speak at your conference although if you are in a position to hire a speaker um, then I would definitely check him out as well and of course there are myriad ways to stay in touch with us at A Brilliant Gamble to our website social media I mentioned at the beginning of the show about the free escape the rat race checklist if you haven't been to the website yet to check that out please do it now it's free there's no reason not to download it and even if you are some way into the transition I still think there's loads in here you get the the reward of checking things off that you've already done but I think that there are things on this list that you may not have thought about and even if there are one or two really good ideas on here of tasks or actions or questions to resolve that you haven't considered that is definitely going to be worth the few moments it takes to download it onto your laptop so head over there now and with all the information about how to stay in touch with us here here's the lovely Ivy Palmer website at www.brilliantgamble.com. There you can get all the episodes of the show plus read the blog. And on our Escape the Rat Race courses page you can find out more about our development programs to help you navigate your way through the minefield of life, career and change. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Brilliant Gamble and join our corporate escapist Facebook group. Please leave a review and star rating for this podcast on iTunes as it helps people find us and take a brilliant gamble off there.